Hello and welcome back to the Ebby Online podcast. This week I'm joined by my friend Elliot Round, a digital artist and filmmaker, 3D AR AI VR specialist, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur. I'm gassing him, he's my friend, so... To talk about mental health and his ADHD diagnosis in his mid-twenties, as many young adults have been seeking out help from mental health professionals and services, coming to them with depression and anxiety, only to later discover that they have ADHD. We also discuss in this episode men's mental health and the stigmas attached. I hope you enjoy. Elliot, what is your profession and what do you do? What's your job? What's your day-to-day life like? My day-to-day life, well, technically, um, I'm what you call a CTO, which is a, uh, a Chief Te- Technological Officer. Um, but I run a, um, a tech startup, so we do um, creative technology, uh, work in like, the field of like 3D, uh, VR and AR and, and film. Um, and day-to-day, it really varies. So most of the time, um, I'll be kind of like working with my team, solving problems. Uh, sometimes I'll be working on creative pieces, so um, they could be like 3D adverts, they could be um, product commercials or kind of VR experiences. Uh, so yeah, it really tends to vary. Um, it's not particularly um, like, you know, the same every single day. Did you know there was something different about you and how you were going about your day-to-day life? Like, what age did you think, ah, oh, I may be... I may be you know, live my life a bit differently to other people? Um, I don't know. I don't think I've ever thought like I'm different per se. I've always, I've always seen myself as like a hyper creative person. And I've kind of defined that as like a sort of my sort of self-talk. Um, but no, I've never really felt different. I think the thing that was just beginning to get a little bit frustrating to me was constantly being told to sort of just like, slow down and chill out a bit because I was almost like always running at life and just like doing the most especially well throughout all of school like I'll be taking like way too many coursework subjects and just getting like overwhelmed with that or when I was at university I would do like the most extravagant projects just because I kind of just like making the most out of my time and then once I graduated and I was into the working world like I was never asked to, to go above and beyond, but I just always wanted to, like I would stay really late. Often, you know, like I might leave the office at like two in the morning or I might sleep there on occasion. And mostly just cause like, I just love doing stuff. I just love being busy all the time. Um, but I was always being told just like, you know, take it down a notch, slow down. And that was when I started to clock that, like I kind of can't. And that was what actually like led me to um, seeking help was the fact that I couldn't slow down. And I just felt like I'm gonna burn out. Would you say it was like hyperactive? How would you describe it? Just like not knowing when to stop or not wanting to stop? It was it was a bit like wanting to be stimulated or I don't know. I would just get bored not doing anything. Like if I was just sat watching TV, unless it was something where I was getting a lot out of it, whether it was like, I don't know, educational, like a documentary or something, or a film where I was kind of looking at it artistically sitting and just not doing anything I just felt like I had to be busy um sometimes it would almost be like I felt a bit guilty to myself I was like wasting my time with like a menial task um or not just making the most of like the day but 
I don't know, it's just like, you couldn't, I couldn't like just sit and stay still. Like even when I'm going from place to place, I feel like I have to sort of run there. I can't just do like a leisurely stroll. Like I'll, yeah, I'll just be doing the most. Sorry. Um, did you, do you feel that there's still a stigma around men reaching out for mental health services and support? Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. I think, I mean, that's partly why like I'm pretty chill about having this, doing this podcast as well, because that was probably the reason I never spoke to someone is because, yeah, it just felt like a lot of stigma about like, you know, seeing a counsellor or a therapist or, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, that it, it's just not the kind of thing that I think men talk about, especially in this country as well. I think in the States, you get a different kind of feeling when it comes to having a counsellor or a therapist. It's almost like a status thing. And it's like you have that expendable income, whereas definitely in like the UK, it's like, oh, something's wrong or there's like something taboo where, yeah, like you've got problems, you've got issues. How do you think um, we can change that stigma? How do you think we can like encourage men if they're feeling because the statistic for suicides in this country and men taking their own lives is staggeringly high? Yeah. Because they're not speaking out. So how can we kind of challenge that, change it? I don't know, it's a bit of a tricky one. I think I think more people obviously talking about it is a good thing. Um, and I think specifically those which aren't portrayed as having quote-unquote, like, issues. So whether that's people in, like, um, you know, like, big musicians or sportsmen or people which are idolised and looked up to as a you know, a man, something that's very kind of like sure of themselves and powerful. And I think changing that narrative is important. I think there's a lot of worry around looking like weak or looking impowerful. And I think if anything, it takes a lot more courage to admit that there's something up than it is to sort of bury your head in the sand and pretend. Because at the end of the day, you know, everyone's human. We all have our issues, we all have our problems. And to say that, you know, you're fine and there's nothing up ever is false. And if anything, you'd look more cowardly by not admitting that and pretending under some sort of veil. What made you seek out therapy last year? Where was your headspace at? It was, as I said earlier, it was really just because I was just getting burnt out. I just felt the need to chill. And it was, it was in lockdown, you know, where you've got an abundance of time in your hands and... I just really got tired of everyone just being like, calm down, calm down, just slow down. Where it's like, believe me, I'm trying. Like, it's just frustrating hearing that all the time. And I've recently, at that point, got out of quite a long relationship. And something that she'd always been saying to me was, I think it would help you to speak to someone. Um, because her and everyone around me were quite worried that I was just going to push myself over the edge and almost like have a like a bit of a breakdown from just snapping, from just doing too much. Um, so that's, yeah, that was mostly why I started speaking to them. But it, it, it really felt good because, so my younger brother's, he's autistic. And I think have, growing up with someone who's autistic, one thing that I never wanted to have was some kind of sense of something was up with me, um, which is quite ignorant in hindsight. But when I was younger, I never wanted to like talk to someone or I thought, having a counsellor was like this big problem and like a troublesome thing. 
And as soon as I sort of broke down that sort of false idea of my head, um, I really saw it for what it was. And the thing that I found most interesting after the first session as well was, it was almost like I sort of knew everything I was talking about um, in my head, but through actually verbally saying something, just me saying out my problems or what I was worrying about, it's like I heard myself talking. I was like, oh, okay, so that's, that makes a lot more sense hearing myself rather than just thinking something. Um, and yeah, I just thought like, okay, there's, there's a lot of help I can gain from this. Um, and you know, like people spend so much time looking after their bodies and what they put into their bodies, but you don't really, people tend to sort of neglect the mind. And if anything, that's the most important part of us. What was therapy like for you going into it? Did it take you a while to find a therapist that you vibed with? Did you shop around? Did you just go on Google and be like therapist nearby? Because it was obviously during the pandemic, so it was online. Yeah, so it was. I did it online, but it was really just out of recommendation. So, because um, my ex from before had been seeing a counsellor, she recommended this lady, and I, you know, I thought, okay, well, if if she trusts her, then I I can trust her. So I thought I'd give it a shot, um, and yeah, it was, it was it was a lot easier than I thought. I mean, we did it through video call, so I don't know how different it would have been if I did it in person, but. Um, the, the entire time I've, I still do it just through video call and that seems to work quite well. What was your experience like then? What other things did you find out and how did it lead to your therapist saying, I think you might have ADHD? Yeah, I mean, it was, I was talking to her for several months and it, you know, it, it was, it was quite helpful. Like we'd talk every week. Um, but I think there was just certain things which she kept bringing up and she's like, have you ever thought about this thing? Um, and I, I didn't know anything about ADHD. Uh, all I knew was the sort of, sort of pop culture impression of it as like a kid that's very hyperactive and a bit disturbing. And I've always been pretty good at school. It's never been, I've never had like any sort of, let's say, issue growing up. Um, so I guess I went like under the radar in that, in that sense. But it was just this main thing of like never being able to sort of slow down regardless of what I tried the fact that I had and I still have like really bad sleeping problems like I'm always super awake in the evening even if I try really hard to go to bed um early um I can wake up really early but I'll be always lethargic throughout the day um peculiar things like the amount of coffee that I would drink or always needing some kind of stimulant um and then just uh, the fact that sometimes I could get really like locked in on a task to the point where I'd like forget about the whole world around me. Like I could get up in the morning, um, do something creative, blink and it's the evening time and I haven't moved, haven't eaten. And it was just things like that where she was like, these are all kind of pointing towards this, this one thing. Um, and interestingly enough, she was also stating that ADHD comes from the, the, the frontal part of the brain, the frontal lobe. And that's to do an awful lot with your sense of self. And um, people with disorders such as dyslexia, dyspraxia, OCD, or, um, and people on the autism spectrum will tend to have other disorders within that cluster. And I'm dyslexic, my brother's dyslexic, and he's also got Asperger's. So she was stating that, you know, it's highly probable that you might also have something if you, you know, you're also dyslexic. So she wasn't She's she's a counsellor. She can't medically diagnose it, but it was ticking all the boxes to her. And that's when she recommended me to speak to a psychiatrist. Um, and that's when, yeah, they, they diagnosed me with it. What was the process like for diagnosis? 
So... Was it easy? Was it hard? How long did it take? So, I mean, with, with the NHS, you can get put onto, um, like, a waiting list. And because it was becoming quite troublesome, and it's at a point in my career where, like, um, I'm currently running a, a business and we were just about to get a lot bigger, I felt the need to... I, I wanted to find a resolve. So I was like, if, if this is the case, I'd rather find out now and, and tackle it sooner than allowing it to sort of manifest and get worse. So I decided to just do it private because the waiting was, you know, from a year to two years. Um, so I decided to go private, but it's the exact same process. And what they do is they send you um, a few questionnaires. So they sent me a questionnaire and it was just things like, do you strongly or strongly not disagree with this statement, um, a list of those. Then it was some more kind of longer written questions. Um, and then they also, what was quite interesting, they had um, an interview for two people that were quite close to you or have like, you know, been with you a long time. So I gave one of them to my mother and another one to um, my ex who, who recommended I speak to someone. And it was interesting reading what they said, but yeah, then I sent that across um, and then I had a interview and like a video call and, you know, he asked me some questions and we had a little bit of a chit chat. And then during the call, he was explaining, like, I'm quite positive that you have it. He explained to me a little bit more of what it was and how there are different kinds. So ADHD is like an umbrella. You have people that are really hyperactive, some people that are super inattentive. And then you have what I am, which is where you're a bit of both. Um, and then he was explaining like the different... Um, things you can do so like there's ADHD coaching um the different kinds of medication they have and then we kind of left it there and it was sort of then up 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 to me to decide you know where to go next with that where have you decided to go next with it so I have I have contemplated the idea of taking medication um but in all honesty like I've managed to you know cope pretty much fine the entirety of my life um and it's, the, it's, it's something that you're born with so it's not something that manifests and I figured, well, look, if I've been fine these whole 25 years at the time, it's only becoming problematic in the last year or two. And I'm trying to find solutions to things which I'm now knowing are like impossible to solve. Then by knowing what it was, I thought, okay, well, hopefully the more I learn about it, the better I can accommodate around it, knowing what it is finally, you know, rather than sort of chasing your tail. So... I'd, I'd much rather, you know, try that and then take any form of medication. And I think also because whilst there are obviously cons, which is what led me to seeking a counsellor, I feel like there's a lot of pros which have actually sort of led me to where I am right now. So some being the fact that I can become um, ridiculously attentive on a task. So I can learn things very quickly because I'll just get stuck in and just watch, I don't know, tutorials back to back for like 20 hours and just like soak in all this information. Or if I'm doing something creative, if I can really just hone in on this one thing. And I feel like that's benefited me an awful lot. So I think understanding why those sort of cons coming to being is really going to help me actually curb that. How have you adapted your life around it now? So if, one, of the, one of the first things that I started to understand was the idea of, what are called executive functions. So these are things whereby it's almost like the caretaker of your mind, the thing that's saying, okay, you, you need to go and do this now. And once you've done that, I'm going to give you a little hit of dopamine and you'll feel good about it. 
or you need to get this thing done because you've got a deadline coming up in a month and if you do a little bit now you know you can slowly kind of finish that task um and what I found out was if you have ADHD, you really lack executive functions and they don't work correctly. So you're constantly looking for something to actually make you do the task. So being someone that like kind of works for themselves, there isn't someone above me that's saying, okay, you need to get this done. You have to get this thing done. So what I'd often um, have an awful lot of was stress. Um, mostly because stress is like a factor that then actually kind of jumpstarts you into getting something done. And I've always almost lived off of stress and arguably I kind of quite like it. I like very stressful situations. It doesn't panic me, but naturally stress is still a hormone. It has a negative impact on your body. So learning that I kind of functionally need stress, I decided, well, rather than giving myself a deadline, which might be three months away, I'll maybe say to the client, well, I'm going to give you this thing in two weeks, this thing in three weeks and this thing in four and so on. And then that way I'm giving myself more like microdoses of stress. So rather than allowing it to build up into one big, you know, catastrophe, I'll still be stressed, but it'll be much more smaller and manageable. And learning things like that really helped me as well. Um, so that's been quite useful. So do you feel like the diagnosis has kind of helped you understand yourself more? Is it kind of like a light bulb going off, an egg cracking? Yeah, definitely. Um, and the more and more I've learned about it, the more I'm like, ah, oh, that makes so much more sense. Um, and I think... Learning about it in a way where you're trying to then accommodate it and work around it. Because I wasn't looking for it for an answer just so that I could blame things on something. I'm like, oh, well, I can't do this because of that. Um, it was much more, you know, if you see your mind as like a tool, I wanted to, to know what tool it was. I didn't want to be trying to use like a saw as a hammer and being like, you know, why isn't this working? So the more I've like learned about it, I'm like, okay, these are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. I can't change these weaknesses, but I can work with them rather than against them. And I can learn what my strengths are and play into those a little bit more. So that's, that's, that's been helpful um, for sure. Why do you think it took so long for you to, for someone to pick up on it? Because I know sometimes they do testing at school and stuff like that. Do you think you were just like a silent case because you weren't I think... hyper, overly hyperactive? in the classroom I, th I mean I don't know I, th I was always very hyper but I don't think it ever became a problem so I like most subjects in school I think the only ones I really didn't like was Englishes and language but everything outside of that science maths art they were all things I found very interesting so I would always be super attentive in it and when it came to A-levels a lot of my subjects were all coursework based so it was all like aside from the classes um that you'd have to attend it's all kind of on you so it was great because I could just like do as much work as I wanted to I could go off and just like you know bang out a few art books for the weekend or just do above and beyond in my media studies project and I think looking back on it those are definitely like indicators of being hyperactive and hyper attentive but because it was working, so positive <laughs> yeah it was all working to my advantage so that's why I, was, I guess it kind of went you know undiagnosed um and on top of that I've learned as well, like growing up with a, an autistic sibling, they're someone that's always getting a lot of help and a lot of care. And it's, it's never felt as though I haven't had parents that I could reach out and ask for help. I just didn't almost want to bother anyone with my issues because like, you know, they've got enough on their plate. So I think because of that, I've also become very sort of like independent or not, you know, if, if something's up, not really speaking out about it. 
Um, but I think it was just when it started to actually become, I was like, I was working against the grain basically. Um, I think it was the fact that I'd gone from a job where, although I was working in another company, I was very much working my own hours. Like my, my boss didn't care if I rolled up at 11 because he knew that I was like working late and just giving it my all. Whereas when I started running a business, I'm working with loads of different people and I have to be on more of a, a nine to five schedule. And that was just causing me a lot of like, it was just a bit frustrating because I wasn't like, you know, 100% all the time. And I think it was just working against the grain, which was becoming a bit of a problem. What does your daily routine look like now? Is it scattered, spontaneous, <laughs> I don't, last I, minute? I don't have a routine. Like, th this is the other thing that I've learned a lot. Whenever I've lived with someone or I've been in like a relationship, I'll end up almost matching their routine like they'll get up and have breakfast and i'll unwillingly think okay i should probably eat but when it's just me it's like a complete free-for-all and it's something like i'm really envious of other people and i've always wanted to have some kind of routine but regardless of what i do if i you know do some re really uh intricate calendar if i come up with some like reward system or alarms like what have you routine is is something that i just cannot stick to it's it's like a roll of the dice every day um and it's, it gets very tiring um yeah do you think it, do you like being impulsive that's what i want to ask you because <laughs> you seem to have fun with it i i like i like i like being impulsive sometimes especially with other people because you can have fun and you might do things unexpected but the majority of the time it's really it's really tiring um and you end up getting into situations which could be quite dangerous or impact yourself. Yeah. Um, and again, that's that's something I've learned isn't a big part of it. And it's why you tend to have a lot of people that will fall into bad drug addictions or their life kind of going off the rails or often is the case, very bad finan financial circumstances because you haven't got that thing saying you should stop this or you should you know think about the future or tomorrow because you're so in the moment and about trying to get a very quick hit of stimulant that you'll be like ah fuck it like you know life's too short um so yeah like you know being impulsive is fun and it can lead you to some exciting things but it also can be very impactful why are so many young adults like mid-20s getting diagnosed now why do you think so many of them are like speaking out like finally my <laughs> things make sense to me like I understand myself now I think I think it's a few things I think one you, you have a lot of adults which become undiagnosed with it because it is quite misunderstood it's well it's not misunderstood but it's hard to pinpoint what is the cause so a lot of people tend to get diagnosed with it because they're either seeking help for anxiety or depression um, or even sometimes like bipolar disorder, people think they have that, but it tends to be ADHD. But I think it's mostly just that there's a bit of a cultural shift right now. I think um, you, you see a lot of things on Instagram and Twitter where people are talking a little bit more openly about mental health and it's becoming less of a taboo. Um, and also definitely in the past year or so, a lot of people have been under a lot of emotional and psychological strain with this almost like weird experiment we've been under. Um, that people are actually seeking help for other things and being diagnosed as a result of that. What are your plans for the future and where do you see yourself in five years' time? 
has it have your has your like plans changed now i mean again this is this i don't really think that far ahead like i don't really have any plans i don't i've never thought this is what i want to do as a career i'm what always, you're doing now yeah i'm always just thinking in the moment um which i there, there's good and bad to that i think it's good because i never really get i never really get let down because i haven't got like an idea of what i want to happen so like you know say you go on holiday and people have an idea of like i want to do this and this and this and then it's like their expectation doesn't really match up with the reality i'm just like let's see what happens my my lifestyle is very much like i'll wing it i feel like i'm sort of like controlled chaos um oh yeah i don't know i've I just i'll keep doing what i'm doing and just see where that takes me but i haven't got like some big master plan and i think you know you, you look at other people's lives that are a lot older older than us and they've had so many little twists and turns and sometimes people almost find their career when they're 40 we will have almost like loads of little mini lives and mini careers that I'm, I feel like I'll just be a little bit more open-minded to, yeah, what tomorrow will bring, that I don't think about it too much. But then the the flip side of that is, because you're not really thinking where you want to get to, sometimes you won't plan things out particularly well. So financially, I'm not very good at like thinking ahead or like, oh, I should put money aside for this thing. Or, you know, if, if it's a career path where you need to go through this bit first and then that bit and then do this qualification and dot, dot, dot. They're not really the kind of things um, that I think about. And that's, I don't know whether that is due to ADHD or myself, it's probably more me um, being just like a bit creative and floaty. But yeah, that's definitely how I see things. So if you weren't in the job or doing the job you're doing now, what would you be doing? What would make you happy? Um... I like doing things with people. I don't like, I like, I don't like being just like in my own company for like a really long period of time where, you know, you're just stuck away in front of a computer. Um, pro I mean, probably something creative. If I wasn't doing something creative, I quite like to do something within the sciences. I'm quite a curious person. I like kind of exploring things or discovering things, but I don't really know. Like originally I wanted to be a photographer and then I wanted to work in film and I've sort of stumbled upon virtual reality and then that led me into 3D and then that's where I am now. But who knows? I have, I don't, I have no idea. How has ADHD affected your relationships? Um, I've been talking about from... I haven't... I haven't directly noticed an impact, but I've noticed, especially since like having a diagnosis and and knowing what the effects are. So I think what I found interesting is that I've always been told like I'm hard to read or I can be a bit um, rude sometimes without realizing. And I wouldn't particularly say like I'm, I'm not a nice person. Like I, I like to give people the time of day, but- I, I think you're a great person. Thank you. What I'll, <laughs> what I'll tend to do that without noticing is like I might zone out of a conversation or think it's just finished or butt over someone and it's something I'll be completely oblivious to and I've been noticing now like that you know why that is um because often like my body language doesn't really match up with what I'm doing so I was at a party a few weeks back and it was at a point where I now knew that I had it and I was talking to a friend of mine and they were like yeah like a lot of people get the impression that you're not interested in them or you know you'll walk away mid-conversation I'm like really 
And they're like, yeah, you like you do it all the time. And I had no idea. Um, but being picked up on these kind of things and understanding like why it is, because it's like a light bulb goes off in your head or it's like getting an itch and you have to like go explore something or, you know, then say something that's been on your mind. Now knowing the why, it's like I can mention it as like a bit of a precursor. So, you know, by the way, um, you know, if I suddenly like jump zone out or whatever, like, please don't take it personally. Like it's, it's nothing like that. But that has impacted things before. Like, I remember... Um, so do you actually zone out when you're talking to me? Because I feel like you're always paying attention. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the best way to describe it is, like... <laughs> not to sound crazy. It's not like you have loads of voices in your head. Yeah. But it's almost like you're constantly multitasking. Yeah. So it's like... It's not like you've got double the, the mental capacity than other people it's more like your mental capacity has been split up into loads of little sub things and sometimes all those little agents let's call them in your head will be focused on one task and because there's loads of them focused on one thing it's like super locked in but sometimes like maybe i'm talking to someone and one of like those little agents is like paying attention to the conversation another one's wondering about something that i might do later Maybe one of them's thinking about some idea that's related to work or another one's looking like what's going on in the background there. And sometimes like that can pull me off uh, topic or like zone out the conversation. Or if maybe one of them thinks about something really interesting, like, oh my God, I have to say this thing. And that can be quite frustrating. Um, and sometimes I find that I can go into autopilot quite quickly. So I will, I do this a lot with my mother, unfortunately. <laughs> but like when I'll be on the phone to her, she could be telling me a bunch of stuff and I'll just be replying without realising and I'll be thinking about something else and then I'll sort of snap back into the conversation. I'm like, oh shit, I have no idea what we're talking about. But I've held up the conversation perfectly well and she'll be oblivious to the fact that like I was aware of the fairies. Um, yeah. But that, that, that's definitely what happens, I would say. Do you think you could have another intimate relationship with somebody else that has ADHD or do you just think it would be wild for you? I don't know. I think it could go one of two ways. Like on the one hand, you know, you've, you're then going to share an awful lot of relatability and empathy with one another, whereby maybe you can help each other. But what I've learned is you often get relationships where you have one person that's slightly more kind of structured in their day to day and then the other, which is a bit more, well, lesser. And you end up um, kind of feeding off of their energy, let's say. So they'll have the structured life and that will mean that you naturally end up having a more structured life or they'll be a little bit more um, financially sure and that will kind of rub off on you. And I think if you're both a bit kind of all over the place, it's just going to, it could sort of spiral out of control or if you're both super impulsive, like you're going to burn each other out. You know, if you're both the kind of people which never gets tired, you're going to end up staying up to like silly hours in the morning because no one's like, no one's going to take control and be like, you know what, we've got work tomorrow. Probably not the best idea to be staying up watching movies. We should just go to bed. Because um, if you both like, ah, fuck it, then it's, you know, it's not too good. Mm. I just want to ask you, what is ADHD? Um, well, it, it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, it's like a big umbrella whereby some people will be uh, super hyper hyperactive and always kind of running around and find it incredibly hard to focus on a task. You can have the flip side of that where you're always super focused on something and it's almost hard to switch off or like move between things. 
and then um, the sort of in-between, which is where you have both of that. Um, and it, it really kind of comes out in a lot of different ways. And it becomes something which I realise is that it's a little bit tricky to talk about because a lot of the aspects of it are things which everyone has, but they're things where you might have it now and then or for a few hours as opposed to like all of the time. And it's the all of the time which becomes really tiring. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no like expert on this. I found out about this like last October. So um, this is just what I've learned. But what I found out is, is because your brain is always understimulated. So you really lack a lot of the, um, the, the hormone dopamine and dopamine is what you use for the reward system. And because you're understimulated, your brain's constantly trying to find some kind of form of stimulation. And that could be an interesting topic. It could be, uh, it could be music. It could be something you're looking at. It could be caffeine. It could be cigarettes. It could be drugs or alcohol. Anything that will kind of give your brain enough stimulant, you'll be searching for. And ironically, you think, well, surely if someone's hyperactive, giving them a stimulant is the last thing you want to do. But it's quite the opposite. Because you're understimulated, you're kind of jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to try and search a stimulant. The same way if you're really hungry and you're just like searching around for some food, you're searching around for a stimulant. So if everyone else is on like a baseline of say zero stimulation, you're always on like a negative. So say I take a huge shot of like uh, espresso, most people get super hyperactive. I might already be hyperactive when I take an espresso and it takes me from like being in a negative to just sort of on a calm baseline. And that I found really peculiar um, because one thing that everyone's always kind of getting on me for is like the amount of caffeine I have, whether it's in like coffees or Red Bulls. And I find it really calms me down. And I actually, I can have a coffee and it'll make me, it'll help me go to sleep, which is weird. And when I was talking to this uh, clinical psych psychologist that actually diagnosed me, he asked me like, you know, have you ever taken a lot of stimulants? And I said, yeah, I drink a lot of coffee. And he was like, well, why do you think that is? And I was like, I, I don't know, I've, I've got used to it, I've habituated to it. And he was explaining how, well, no, your brain's always looking for a stimulant. It hasn't got any. As soon as you give it some, it can calm down and relax. And that's why you then become tired. And that was quite peculiar. Um, but it's often why you get a lot of people that um, get into a lot of drugs. Um, it, it's not that you have an addictive personality. It's especially like uppers, like ecstasy and MDMA. They're incredible stimulants that you end up taking it and accidentally sort of self-medicating. Um, and some of the... Is weed a stimulant? Weed's a depressant. So cannabis um, and... Yeah, cannab cannabis slows you down. So cannabis latches onto some receptors and, and suppresses it, as opposed to a stimulant which excites neurons and allows things to be passed around the brain a lot faster. Um, they they two they do two very different things. So for instance, um, one thing which is quite common with ADHD because you're lacking dopamine, you have huge mood swings. So I often get quite tired because I'll be on like a a massive high where I'm super ecstatic and really excited about life, and then out of nowhere you'll just feel really low uh, for a couple of days and just have some really quite dark thoughts. And I've never really known why this is because things could be going perfectly well. But once you're in one of these places, you obviously naturally find reasons to feel sad. But it's like logically, there's no reason why you should have suddenly become in a bad mood. And um, that was also one of the reasons I, I reached out for help. But when I was talking to this um, psych psychiatrist, he was explaining that if you take um, 
antidepressants which latch onto those depression receptors in the same way that um, you know cannabis does it's a suppressant you it, it won't serve the same function it's not that you're in a bad mood it's that you've ran out almost of things to make you happy it's a bit like having when people do something like md and you have a massive high because you've released all the serotonin the following day it's like you've completely depleted all of that supply and you biologically can't become happy because you ran out of that hormone it's, it feels like a similar function um it's something that medication can curb but personally because i'm i'm a bit against taking anything for it at the moment now knowing that it's just like a factor of you know brain chemistry i'll still feel pretty low but i know that okay this is going to pass in a day or two so i won't beat myself up if i'm not able to like you know be all kind of peppy and happy or like if i wanted to do a little creative project for myself and i'm not getting it done i usually i'd beat myself up and feel guilty but now i'll be like i'll just write it out like i'm not gonna i'll just let myself get through this and then you know it's just a it's just a little cycle and that's often why some people think they might have like bipolar um because it does get mis misdiagnosed for that because of these kind of very huge mood swings but yeah you're never like you're never like at a level of contentment you're either like super high or super low there's no, no kind of middle ground and it's things like that which become quite tiring also i think there's a stigma some people will say um with the inattentive type of adhd that someone's just lazy when they're yeah. not so do you think it's quite like it's probably hard for adults that are undiagnosed that are it can cause like depression can't well, it this because is... they're inattentive and it's like i'm not lazy i just can't do that task this is why a lot of people get diagnosed because they seek help for anxiety or depression and it's because you're almost trying to put like a, a square peg into a round hole it's not that you don't want to do these things. It's almost you're going against the current. And it's that going against the current and really fighting which becomes quite tiring and hard. So, you know, with with me, for example, it doesn't... I won't wake up and be really energetic. I'll always be really lethargic throughout the entire day. And then as the evening comes, it's like I've grown up all this energy and now I can, like, I'm really productive. And... It was the fact that I was having to work in the daytime and I wasn't ever kind of really committing that was really becoming frustrating and I'd get quite depressed and I was getting very anxious about it. And I'd end up just like doing all my stuff in the evening as well. And it's things like that where you're going against like the way your body works, which is what causes people to feel sort of anxious and stuff. Where can people view your work? Where can people find you? What are your links? Um, well, my personal works is it's mostly just on my website or my instagram that's just elliot round or elliotround.com um and our company is m-xr and a lot of our productions are on those sites um, and the technologies that we're building perfect thank you for talking with me Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week, Monday, for a new guest and a new exciting topic. Feel free to check out more of my content at ebbyonline.com.